Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. A touchdown wins the game. 13 seconds to go in the overtime. 22 to 19 San Francisco. McKinnon is in at running back. First down and goal to go. Play action fake. Right side throw. Touchdown. Kansas City. McCall Hardman. Yes. McCall Hardman with the catch. What a great call. Mitch Holtis. Nicole Hartman, I mean, he was on the Jets to start the season. They traded for him. It seemed like an insignificant trade. 5, 22, and the Chiefs' kingdom has started its own history class. Oh, my goodness. It is a dynasty, ladies and gentlemen. Fred, you like the game? Sue, oh, I, I don't even know if Sue would have watched no, the game. No, I did. Okay. Yeah, did you, not like, the whole thing. I caught the second half. The first well, half seemed boring. You made the right call <laughs> right. on that. Uh-huh. Let me tell you something. You know, I was thinking about the first half from this perspective. My, I, I talked about my friends. I do have a couple of friends that went to the game, and uh, they, they took their daughter, who is now 21 years old. So they would have spent probably around the neighborhood of $18,000 on these tickets. And oh. they certainly have the ability to do that. However, I, I honestly thought at halftime, man, I don't know if you can say there's a big ROI. But then, lo and behold, that second half and the whole finish was really amazing. Now, I, I Mitch is great. Mitch Holtis is just amazing announcer. I'm a fan, apparently one of the only ones, because people seemingly – you like Tony Romo on the analysis? I do. Oh, I, I do. Okay, I do, yeah. so a lot of people – there's a lot of Tony Romo haters out there. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of Joe Buck haters out there. But I will say this, that Romo, what, what he was trying to do at the end of the game is – and I don't know if this gets too far into the weeds, but he was trying to explain the overtime rules. So the clock appeared like it was running out. You had to do something or call your timeout. But if, if the, the uh, Chiefs run out of time in that overtime period – because it wasn't fourth down yet, they could play on to the next quarter, if you will. So what happened was, is Romo's trying to explain that, and then he kind of screws up Nance's call. First and goal. Mahomes flings it. It's there! Hartman! Jackpot! Kansas City! So he snuck that in there at the end, but Romo was kind of talking all the way up until that point. But look, it was a it was a great, great finish, and look at the Kansas City Chiefs winning another Super Bowl. I want to go over some of the things that happened, though, before the game, during the game, after the game, because uh, we're going to start with that. The big news of the day is the shooting down in Houston at Joel Osteen's church. And some of this stuff, I'll be honest, and we're going to get into it here, is a little confusing. There was a woman who went in, apparently with her own biological son, first identified as a five-year-old, now we know as a seven-year-old who's in critical condition. Now, the word had gotten out a little earlier today that this shooter was trans, which raises all kinds of questions because we've had a bit of a pattern. But there's also confusing information because they now say that the boy was the biological son. So we don't know if it's like a trans 
biological man who I, I have no idea. I don't know if it was a woman who became a man because she did identify with some um, like the name of Jeffrey, right? Fred, right, look, right, it's Jeffrey. all confusing. But Sue, if you're looking at me like you're confused, I'm I am confused. confused. I have no idea. Are you there's saying there's lots sh- of gender questions? I mean, it definitely was a gender question, right? Because the suspect went by both male and female identities, right? But they never really said that there was any sort of transition. Yeah, so I, I want to be careful with this because there, well, there's a lot of people out there that are saying this this shooter was trans. Maybe very well the case, but I, there's conflicting information about how, that. At this help point. me with the child. The child is related to the shooter. The the child is the biological child. So if you play it out, that would mean that she is a biological woman, right? Who may have transitioned to male because she was using the name of Jeffrey at some point, but not not recently. Could, so that it goes it doesn't make any sense. Could it be if it's it's if it the child it's the biological son of the shooter, could it be that the shooter was the father? I don't know. Could, I, Fred, I don't know. Yes. But, yeah, but can, the, could it possibly that's be? That's what I mean. Yeah, and, okay. and was the child injured? I don't know anything. That's why the I'm child, the child is in, in serious in critical condition. So right the now. shooter yeah, shot No, 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 no. 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 Oh. The police look, the the mother, this woman essentially used this kid as a human shield. Oh. Brought there's a theory that maybe because they were bringing a bag into the church that um maybe she's using the kid as cover. We don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know, but we'll get into that okay. a little bit later. But Even I have to start the news conference, we we don't right, know. Right, right. Oh. They held the news conference and they they didn't really answer all the questions. But I have to get to some of that yesterday. By the way, we have uh, Will Scharf, who is a former federal prosecutor. He was last week in the uh, Supreme Court. He's been on these cases for President Trump quite a bit, and he's a candidate for attorney general. So we'll get Will in here. we got Scott Jennings coming on. But let me run down just kind of, you know, moment by moment, my thoughts on the Super Bowl yesterday, Sue, starting with um, Andrew Day. Did you see Andrew Day? She was lifting up every voice. Lift every voice. Now, this is 15 minutes before kickoff. It's 5.15, and I guess they've done this since 2021. This is known, Sue, do you know this, as the Black National Anthem. Now, here's what I would say. Fred, you saw, did you see Andra yeah, Day do the Lift Every Voice? They had a choir out there. I thought right. the performance was amazing, actually. I thought it was a really good I, performance. I was captivated by the background singers. They were great. But yeah. here's what I would say about that. And I, I thought about this. I did a little demographical research here. Man, if I'm Hispanic, I'm pissed off. Where's my Hispanic national yeah. anthem? There's more Hispanic people in this country than there are African Americans now. <laughs> Certainly after Joe Biden let them all in. It wasn't even, you know, it was close until the last four years. But seriously, what what is the stated? I'm asking a serious question. I realize that I'm a white supremacist and I'm racist and all that. Let's just accept that for a moment. But what's the stated purpose of Lift Every Voice? And you had this guy, listen to this. Because there's a guy out there by the name of Steve. I think his name is Steve Cohen. And he is a um, Democrat from Kentucky. And he was mad. Steve Cohen's not happy because people didn't stand for Lift Every Voice and Sing when it was played yesterday. I guess they started it during the 2020-21 season. They've done it ever since then. But he tweets out, very, very few stood at Super Bowl for Lift Every Voice and Sing. The Negro National Anthem. This is what this white dude wrote. He wrote the Negro National Anthem. Not a pretty picture of the Super Bowl crowd. Are you kidding me? Who who knows? Is there some sort of official protocol to stand up for lift every voice and no, sing? There's it's not. just another person who's going to yeah. complain that we're all not doing the right thing so they can be a victim. Exactly. Whoa, they're still singing. Andrew Day is still singing there. So shut up about that. So then you had Post Malone. Now, he's a weird dude, right? He's got all kinds of face tattoos. But I was kind of captivated by this, despite the weirdness that sort of exudes weird from Post Malone. 
I, I was managing one thing, though, when I was watching Post Malone. Fred, I don't know if you ever do this, but um, I could use your neighbor as an example, right? Joyce? Joyce? Because I thought of my mother, and I'll use Joyce as an example. I can't imagine Judy Reardon sitting down and watching Post Malone thinking, well, that guy seems normal, right? What, what do you think Joyce would well, say about Post Malone? Well, I was sitting next to her for the oh whole thing. Oh, my gosh. Who knew? Yep. Fred, over, I did not she know. She was over at our house watching it. Okay. Um, did she like Post? She, I mean, look, Joyce may once. have a face tattoo or not that I'm unaware of, Fred. <laughs> I don't know. She was she was very quiet during it. She was trying to figure out his teeth. Yeah, that's uh, understandable. But during the halftime, when Usher was performing and dancing everywhere and then roller skating, she said, you know, we were trying to figure out how much she get paid, got paid for that. She's he didn't get like, paid anything. Too much. Yeah, he didn't get paid anything for that. So yeah, that's that's the thing on those halftime shows. PR. They don't get paid. All right, we'll get to Usher in a second. But I like Post Malone in, in his grill. My daughter asked about the grill, too. Are his teeth metal? Uh, apparently they are. And then Reba, who... Um, did anyone do the timing on this? Because I think the over-under was like 87 seconds. I think she rolled a little longer than 87 seconds, but it was efficient. Life. So she just did her job. Reba got up there with the red right, hair. Did and her she just kind of did her job, and I appreciated that. And Willie Gay, like streaming tears down his face during the, um, you know, the shots that they showed of the Chiefs players and some of the 49ers players, as well. All right, so that's um, that's up to the start of the game. Let's go to the halftime show. Before I do this, what do you think, Fred? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm thinking of. I saw an uh, article in the Onion. Um, during the game, and it's like Travis Kelsey stuns fans, gets down to one knee at midfield, and proposes to Reba McIntyre. Okay, that is hysterical. You know what? My daughter, the first thing she says oh this morning, gosh. she went to bed before the game was over. It didn't end until closer to 10, and she had a swim meet this weekend, so she was tired. We're on the way to school this morning. She goes, did Travis propose to Taylor? I'm like, no, no. I don't think that happened. But look. I thought Usher was really, really good. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Now, I like the way that he, you know, used the uh, the field as part of the stage. Yeah, that was cool. I, I, I almost, I give the guy credit because he didn't lip sync. He almost should have oh, lip synced because he was tell. so out of breath, right? Yes, he was awesome and I spent great too much shape. time trying to figure that out. What, oh, that, that one shot yeah. you could see, you could tell, and the roller skating. Loved it. And somebody give him a towel, man. He was like sweating like crazy. But here's what I discovered. It's funny because Abby said the same thing. Like, I, I knew two songs. I knew this one, of course. It was a great finish. This is a great one to finish with. But I, I love that they had Luda out, Ludacris out there, too. Well, that of course, Sue calls him Luda. I mean, I get it. <laughs> I'm I do. Down. I'm down and I love Ludacris. I do like him yeah. a lot. And then that was, um, it was Alicia Keys. Was the oh, she was well. great. I loved yeah. her piano. So I'm a, I was a fan of the halftime show. However, okay. th- this happens every year. There, there are people ready to anoint this like the the best halftime show ever. I, I don't. I mean, it was good. It was it was what they should be. They should be good. They put a lot of effort into it, right? You're, you're so, right, though. They do that every year. You're exactly right. I do think I also am underestimating, or if I can quote George W. Bush, misunderestimating the uh, the popularity of Usher. And by the way, I've I've been familiar with Usher, and I know he's a a popular figure. And I used to watch him on The Voice. He's a you know he's a guy that exudes. Warmth and Charisma. personality. Yeah, he mm-hmm. does. But man, he added a second show here in St. Louis. Yeah. So this is a guy. He's got a new record. This was this is all timed, you know, for the the tour and the record, which that's good for him because that's why I don't pay him because he gets the promotion on it. That's right. So I was okay with that. We'll skip over the first half because the first half was just <laughs> terrible. It just man, it, it was so. 
And I said on Friday, I couldn't believe I was right about this. I'll take the under, although the under, I think, was only the under by a point or a point and a half. They did not do a lot of scoring, certainly, in the first half. But then you got to the second half after the halftime show, and it really was pretty incredible. Now, the um, the moment that everyone wants to talk about with that is Travis Kelsey going up to Andy Reid. So yeah, did what you see was that? that? Well, he was not he was happy. Just... He was asked about it afterwards. When you and Andy Reid had that, what I call a very engaging conversation. Oh, you guys saw you guys saw that. What was the conversation <laughs> about? Was it, there were a few cameras? I mean, was it? Hey, I need the ball. I can help us win. What was that about? Uh, man, it was. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it between us unless my mic up tells the world. But uh, I was just telling him how much I love him. <laughs> I think his mic'd up is going to end up telling the no. world. But, look, he was very he, – he wanted to be in yeah. on the plays. I think he was mad that he wasn't in a particular circumstance. Coach Reed. Was Travis giving that speech on the sideline when he ran into you oh, in the yeah. first half? No. <laughs> he keeps me young. Yeah. <laughs> so, the balance looked good. Yeah, not so good. I think that uh, Andy and, and Travis will be fine. Look, there's a lot of emotions. Patrick Mahomes, I was watching that postgame stuff last night. Mahomes jumped in because right after – Travis Kelsey said that he's like look that that speaks volumes about our team and the passion that we have so you got a little dynasty brewing across the state and I think the parade is going to be on Valentine's Day which is very romantic did you see uh, Jim Gray I think you've got that sound of Jim Gray explaining what went on with the Kelsey bump Oh, uh, yeah, let me see if I can find that because I think that's up do you know what that that's labeled I think any chance Jim Gray okay here it is yeah his take on this he wanted the ball and it's nothing okay this is nothing, okay? It's an emotional game. They're fighting for their lives. They want to win another championship. It's all gone away. This isn't like Latrell Sprewell choking P.J. Carlissimo. Come on. It's an emotional moment. They love each other. Yeah. This too shall pass. It's nothing. So and he, guess what? I guarantee you they're going to be hugging it out in the parade. Yeah, I don't think there's any problem with that. And, you know, you do. I do want to address the other storyline because the other storyline was pretty good. And, as a fan of the NFL, and even though I'm a very passionate fan of the Kansas City Chiefs, I wouldn't have been, you know, too upset if the 49ers win that, you know, Super Bowl just because I have respect for the players, for Debo, for, That's you know, fair. and Kittle went out in that game yesterday. Uh, for Shanahan as a coach, I hated his father, which is interesting. I just couldn't stand his father, mainly because he was coach of the Denver Broncos for many years when the Chiefs had, you know, the rivalry between Mm -hmm. Denver. So that's maybe one of the reasons that I don't like him. But Brock Purdy and that whole story really is amazing. He didn't get it done, but this kid is young. He's got a future ahead of him. It just hurts. You know, we have the team obviously to do it, to win the whole thing and come up short like that. You know, the way things have been the last couple of years here, um, everyone wanted it so bad. A lot of people, including me, weren't sure. You know, you have Patrick Mahomes, even though he's 28 years old, with all this experience, he won his first Super Bowl when he was 24. Brock Purdy is 24 years old. I think about that, Fred, in terms of my own children. Mm, <laughs> because I have right. my, my son who's in Columbia teaching is the age of Brock Purdy, and the other son's wow. basically the age of Patrick Mahomes. But I think a lot of people said, well, wait, can he handle the pressure? Well, he handled the pressure quite well. And it certainly wasn't um, – I don't think he can blame anything that, that cost San Francisco the game. Some people want to say, well, in the overtime period, maybe they should have deferred because they end up kicking the field goal. And then, you know, Mahomes, know they know exactly what they have to do, go down and get a touchdown. But it was a great, great Super Bowl in the end. And I'm so happy that the Chiefs won. We're off and running here for a Monday edition of the show. We got loaded up guests and commentary. Will Sharps coming in next. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Man, I almost messed up last night. You know, it was a big day. Alexa had a swim meet, and then um, I played racquetball, and then we had the Super Bowl, and I'm sitting around last night. My new thing is to watch uh, reruns of Frasier late at night. Doing the West Wing as well. My my wife's aunt recommended that. But I'm sitting, I don't even know what inspired me last night. I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's it's almost midnight, and I did not wish Sue Thomas a happy birthday. Oh, we did on Friday, of course, yes. but yesterday was the actual birthday. So 11.53 last night, I type out a text that says, Happy birthday. Just note the time. I made it under the wire. So. Yeah, you did, so thank you for that. I like those mixed nuts. Michael took out all the uh, hazelnuts for me, so I feel very Oh, very see, lucky. I was unaware of the hazelnut yeah. restriction, but now I How, am aware. No, no, they're in all of them. You can't avoid them, and I loved it, so I've been eating those, so thank you. But you don't like hazelnuts? Is that the deal? Yeah, I think they're like the Brazil, like the monkey toe ones of the the mixed nuts. I don't like those. I don't and like the hazelnuts. Those so yeah. is it something that if I, you know, let's say there's a particular color of M M&M and M or something like that, can I bring those to your house and then Michael goes through those and just sort of sifts through and gives me what I need? I think it was a, just a nice gesture. Okay. Well, you know, I had to try. Hey, Will Sharf is with us in the studio. Former federal prosecutor, he's running for Missouri Attorney General. He's been working with um, former President Trump on a lot of the cases. And Will, you were at that hearing on Thursday before the Supremes, weren't you? How are you? Good afternoon. Good to be with you. Thanks so much for having me on. I can't believe you just admitted you're a fan of the West Wing, though. That show (laughs) is the absolute worst. It's like politics through the lens of like a liberal pipe dream, and I think it deeply corrupted my generation. Wait wait, wait a second. Here's what I'm going to tell you. When's the last time, Will Sharp? Uh I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to throw it out. When's the last time you watched the West Wing? Because if you watch the West Wing through the lens that we now have in 2024, This guy, you know, Martin Sheen's character is to the right of Trump on some issues. You would be shocked at some of the things that they say, which today would never be considered by the left. I I think that's fair. I wouldn't say he's to the right of Trump. Uh, Maybe a slight exaggeration. Aaron Sorkin has a vision of this, like this, how the presidency is supposed to work. And I think that for conservatives, that vision is just deeply dangerous. I mean, I think we're in an ideological struggle for the future of our country, and I think it's a struggle that we need to win. And the West Wing, I think, is just on the complete other side of things. We can go on about that for a while longer. It was a third. It's thirty years ago. It was, it was actually, you know, I've kind of shifted to Frasier. You have any issues with Frasier? No, Frasier is okay, uh, good. Good, a great American show. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, it is. Uh... And he was a talk show host too, yeah. right? So I love that. Well, let, let's first talk about. There's a bunch of things we can talk about with you, and we will here this afternoon, Will Sharp. But let's talk about Thursday because, yeah. and Thursday was interesting from a variety of perspectives. And I've mentioned this a couple of times. It was. A huge buildup, and then all of a sudden, after the hearing on Thursday, as you know, the special counsel's report comes out and sort of absorbs a lot of the news cycle. But those hearings are the questions that were being asked and answered by the Supremes on this issue of whether President Trump should be off the ballot in Colorado were very interesting and seemingly revealing, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's an incredible case. You've had these left-wing nonprofits all across the country trying to kick President Trump off the ballot. 
Most courts have just rejected their arguments out of hand. But this Colorado Supreme Court decided that they had the right to remove President Trump from the ballot. I think the argument on Thursday couldn't have gone any better for our side, couldn't have gone better for President Trump. You have the the odd situation where uh, Katanji Brown Jackson and Elena Kagan, you know, ju- justices we tend to think of as being uh, at times pretty far left. And they were, you know, if anything, very aggressive on our side and pretty hostile and vicious to uh, to opposing counsel. So we felt like that argument went really well. I'm, I'm hoping we get a judgment out of the Supreme Court soon, just ruling that this idea that any state can just decide to kick people off the ballot, deprive Americans of their right to vote for their candidate of choice, uh, that we'll finally put that idea to bed here. Do we have any sense of the timing of that at all? The Supreme Court could issue it at any time, given how, I wouldn't say unanimous, but close to it they seemed. Uh, we'd hope that that judgment would come out soon. Uh, I think the sooner that we get finality on this issue, uh, the better it is in terms of of depoliticizing the courts, uh, in terms of of bringing this issue back to where it belongs, which is our nation's political processes and ultimately at the ballot box. To to people like me who are just outsiders and we don't have the uh, the legal perspective, I'm not a constitutional expert, I'm not a lawyer, but that case in particular, Colorado just seems so off the charts and so ridiculous. And I don't, I, I think, didn't Sam Alito say, say something the other day like, you shouldn't really even be here? Because this is one of those things that should never even come before the court. It's so ridiculous that they tried this. You know, we appealed that Colorado Supreme Court decision, I think on six or seven independent grounds. And Jonathan Mitchell, the lawyer arguing for our team on Thursday, said, you guys can affirm on any of these grounds. You know, there are six different reasons why this opinion needs to be thrown out. And if we win on any one of them, uh, we win. And, And that's sort of how ridiculous this was. This wasn't some long shot appeal. It was just so clear that the law was on our side. And I think that's why we're going to get a great Supreme Court opinion on it, hopefully hopefully soon. Okay, now, the immunity deal, not quite as crystal clear. You helped argue that particular case, and you have some uh, some news on that even this afternoon, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just becoming public now, but uh, earlier this afternoon, we filed a, a stay application with the U.S. Supreme Court uh, seeking to, to stay the, the circuit court opinion against us on this immunity issue. I actually think the presidential immunity issue is crystal clear. I think the idea that you can uh, criminally prosecute a a former president for his official acts while he's in office, not his private conduct, but for his exercise of presidential powers, I think our constitutional system just makes it very, very clear that a president has to be immune from prosecution for his official acts. And we're hoping the Supreme Court sees things our way. I think there's an interpretation on the part of the uh, the public that that is a claim that is laid for anything that a president might do, right? But it, you're, you're, it's very narrow in the specific act category, right? So if a president pulled out a gun and shot somebody dead, that's a private act. Of course he can be criminally prosecuted for it. If you actually look at the Trump indictment in D.C., if you look at the Jack Smith indictment in D.C., what they're actually alleging is that by doing things like instructing the Department of Justice to investigate election fraud, by communicating with members of Congress and with state office holders about election fraud, which are core presidential responsibilities under the Take Care Clause of of Article 2 of the Constitution, that by doing these quintessentially official presidential acts— President Trump somehow committed a crime. So it's, you know, the equivalent of the president giving orders to the military or the president giving orders to his departments and agencies. It can't be the case 
that a future administration can just come along and throw their political opponents in prison. Uh, that's just not the way the Constitution's set up. The example we used is Barack Obama's drone strike on Anwar al-Awlaki. That was a drone strike, highly contestable legally, whether it was lawful under American law. It killed two American citizens. Could a federal prosecutor in, let's say, Florida or Texas criminally indict Barack Obama for murder, uh, for giving his military the order to, to take them out? And I think the answer is clearly no, unless the president is first impeached and convicted by Congress and the Senate. That's the system that the Constitution sets up, and that's the, the core constitutional design principle that we're trying to vindicate with this presidential immunity so appeal. So what's the process then from here? You requested the stay this afternoon? So we requested a, a stay by the Supreme Court today. We're certainly hoping the Supreme Court rules our way. Uh, if they do, we'd then be taking this case to what's called the on-bank D.C. Circuit. That's all of the judges of the D.C. Circuit, as opposed to just the three who heard our appeal initially. Uh, if we were to lose there, we would then seek certiorari, seek to take this case up to the Supreme Court on its merits. Uh, the Jack Smith's team has already said that they think this is an issue that merits consideration by the Supreme Court. So we feel like we have a very strong argument for the Supreme Court to take this case up uh, and hopefully decide it our way. Because as I said, these are core constitutional issues, and we think the argument is pretty clearly uh, in our favor. Will Scharf is here. He's running for Attorney General of Missouri. He's a former federal prosecutor. So let me segue into the Her report that was released, as I mentioned, oh, on the same day that everything was happening in the Supreme Court. A lot of criticism has been leveled, and I continue to hear it from KJP and others, that this prosecutor, it was inappropriate for the prosecutor, the special counsel, Mr. Her, to insert uh, what some are describing as medical opinions of the former, oh, I'm sorry, the current president and his memory issues. Now, I've heard different explanations for that, Will, so what do you say? Well, look, the reason that those supposed medical opinions are in the report is because her found conclusively, uh, or at least uh, alleges conclusively, uh, that President Biden willfully and unlawfully retained classified information. And he says that the only reason that he's not recommending that the Department of Justice charge Biden is that they think he would be unconvictable because his memory is so faulty, his mental capacity is so diminished that a jury wouldn't convict him. So look, the White House can't have it both ways. Either they have to acknowledge that President Biden has very, very real memory issues, that his mental capacity is significantly diminished, and frankly, he's probably unfit to be president. Or they have to acknowledge that by the terms of the Her report, he should be indicted the day he leaves office as president. It's a real catch-22 for them. And I'll also note one other thing. Her has a legal obligation uh, to report his findings to the Department of Justice. There is nothing in the special counsel's statute that required the Department of Justice to release that report. So this was a decision made by Merrick Garland, Joe Biden's own attorney general, to release this report. So they could have held that. They, wow. Now, I didn't now, know we, that either. We would have cried foul. Right. And we right, would have right, shouted right. and screamed that we want to see the report. But there was there's nothing in the law that required that report to be released in full publicly. And it was the Biden White House counsel's office that passed on the opportunity to redact elements of that report. But do you think, you know, federal prosecutors, all prosecutors have discretion when it comes to whether or not they actually want to indict or bring a case? Is there is there not a reasonable um, justification that Mr. Hurt put in there as far as I'm going to kind of focus on the, you know, the allegations itself, not the memory issues, but he's obviously winding them into his explanation of why not 
you know, why he wouldn't take that to prosecution. Doesn't that happen with prosecutors all the time? They have that discretion? In this case, Her says that the reason he's exercising his prosecutorial discretion not to recommend bringing this case is that he doesn't think the case against Biden would be provable to a jury. And his rationale for that is that he doesn't think a jury would find yeah. willfulness because of how faulty and diminished Joe Biden's mental but he capacity kinda, he's is. He's probably right about that, though, right? You know, he sort of says that Biden's this kindly old man with a terrible memory and that a jury's just not going to want to convict him. But again, that's damning in and of itself. If this guy is so mentally reduced that a jury wouldn't convict him on that basis, then what's he doing with his finger on the well, nuclear Well, that, that's button? actually the, the you know important question at hand. How would you characterize the differences between the documents that President Trump had at Mar-a-Lago and, and this case? Two things. First of all, everything that President Trump has been accused of in the Florida documents case, her has now accused Joe Biden of. Willful retention of of uh, top secret classified information, serious obstructive conduct, including failure to answer numerous questions uh, by the by the special counsel's office, and probably most damningly, the fact that Joe Biden's ghostwriter deleted hours and hours and hours and hours of interview tapes. And if that's not obstructive conduct, I don't know what is. So every single thing that President Trump has been accused of. Joe Biden has also now been accused of. But I want to make this is a really important point. President Trump is a former president of the United States of America. As president, he had almost unfettered authority to declassify documents. And as a former president, he has rights and prerogatives under the Presidential Records Act that do not apply to Joe Biden. So in many respects, Joe Biden's case is far, far worse and Joe Biden's conduct is far more questionable legally than I believe President Trump's is. Okay, Will Scharf mm-hmm. is here, former federal prosecutor. You're running for Missouri Attorney General. Let's talk about that race a sure. little bit here because obviously, look, uh, Eric Schmidt, who's a good friend, and he was the former Attorney General, got his start, his humble beginnings, Will, as you know, here as the official state senator of the Mark Reardon <laughs> Show, and he has never forgotten that. But he goes to Washington, and we're glad that he's there. The governor appoints um, Andrew Bailey. I don't know, Andrew Bailey, I knew you a little bit before all this happened uh, in your reputation. I didn't know really anything about Andrew. I think people, I think Andrew's done a good job. I like him quite a bit. I like you quite a bit. But I think people are going to be put in this situation right now where you got a guy that seemingly is doing a pretty good job here. How does Will Scharf distinguish himself and make the voters of Missouri think that he's a better candidate? Now, what the conventional wisdom is, and you know this, is that Will Scharf's waiting. He's kind of pinning his hopes on this Trump endorsement. So how would you answer those questions? Well, first of all, the poll numbers effectively show us neck, neck and neck right now, which speaks to me. Uh, to a, a very different dynamic than what you're laying out. I think Andrew Bailey's running a highly effective press operation. I think his legal operation has been much less effective, and we're looking forward to bringing some of those facts forward in the coming months. Uh, the fact that Andrew Bailey really hasn't filed a single new lawsuit against the Biden administration since taking office. He's joined other states' lawsuits. He's continued some of Schmidt's work. But he himself, he has not been nearly as aggressive as Eric Schmidt in terms of holding the federal government accountable. I could go on in that vein for a while, but I think the core distinction is that Andrew Bailey is a Jefferson City establishment politician. We're running from the outside. I'm not supported by all the special interests and all the lobbyists that I believe control the agenda and really control our state's capital. If you want somebody who's going to upset the apple cart in Jefferson City and bring real change to that city, then I think our campaign is for you. If you're really happy with the way that the state's being governed, then I'll admit I'm probably not the right candidate for you. But as we've gotten around the state, 
We've heard from conservatives in every corner of the state that they are deeply dissatisfied with special interest and lobbyist control in Jefferson City and that they're ready for a change. And we're excited about that. Yeah. And I don't I don't challenge you on that because I think that's where uh, a fair portion of you know the base is right now because we're sick and tired of it I you know this kind of takes us into a different territory with foreign policy but here I'm, I'm someone who I, I don't think I ever consider myself an isolationist but when I th- see the numbers of dollars that are going to Ukraine you know 60 billion on top of the hundred billion I think a lot of us are like wait a second what about securing our border? Now, yeah. I know that these things aren't always equal and there's, you know, different reasons for, um, you know, keeping Putin in check, et cetera. But I think it's resonating with people in Missouri in particular that this stuff is out of control. Yeah. Look, as a former as a former violent crime prosecutor, I mean, I saw the cost when you have fentanyl and meth being trucked in industrial quantities over this totally porous border in the south. That affects communities all across Missouri. Missouri's now the number three or four top state for human trafficking in America. I mean, the the outcome of Joe Biden's failed border policies are felt acutely here in the state of Missouri. It's uh, it's absolutely outrageous. Now, on Ukraine, I mean, at the end of the day, money's fungible. Where is the federal government going to decide to spend its money? And I think that we need to be spending a ton more on border security. And I, I credit some Republicans in the House for attempting to hold the line on that front. Will Sharp. Yeah, me too. Will Sharp, thanks for coming in. I appreciate the insight here this afternoon. We've been busy back and forth from uh, Missouri to Washington with all these cases. Keep us posted on the stay request. Is that something you might hear about here in the next 24 hours, you, you would hope? Um, I, I think it'll take them a little longer than that, but okay. hopefully not much longer than Thank that. Thank you, Will. Good to see you, man. Great seeing you. Who's at Enterprise Center tonight? Do you know, Sue? I don't. I saw a bunch of Eagles were there last night, or I'm sorry, not last night, last week. A bunch of week. Eagles. <laughs> uh, but they're, you know, whenever I drive, that's how I come in on 14th Street past Enterprise, and there's always the buses that park, you know, right over here, not too far. We can see them right now from where we're sitting at Park Pacific. So there's either a show tonight or tomorrow, but I don't know who it is. Well, Jordan Peterson is on Wednesday, but uh, let me see who's before then. You're going to that, Drake. Right? Drake with J. Cole. Oh, well, that would be a significant Yes, show, that's right? uh, the two nights. Uh, there you go. Oh, two nights? Yeah. And then Jordan Peterson. All right, yeah. well, now I know that I have to, for the next three nights, not go down 14th Street on my way home, so that helps. Uh, you know, I've been going off a little bit. we got Sue's News coming up in the... Um, The aftermath of Fox News, Scott Jennings at 425, who was just on fire in the aftermath of all this special counsel report last week on CNN. Kusumano will have Super Bowl reaction, et cetera. So that's all coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. I've gone on a bit of a tangent. Some of you might recognize this on experts, just because if you really keep track of the people that we're supposed to put trust into, these so-called experts, they get it wrong all the time. Like, I mean all the time. So I like this from... um, overseas and some of the experts, the so-called experts in the UK. Now, we had these here as well, and you might remember, and they were so disappointed. If you go back to, really, I could take you back to August, September, the LA Times, because I I read that every day. There were little stories about, you know, COVID really ramping up and what's going to happen. And Taylor Swift was even blamed for COVID because of her SoFi concert. She was going to be the super spreader. But every time they had something like that, no, we're going into the winter here. COVID's going to be a big deal. Remember when Tish and the gang sent the email out not too long ago? What was it? Five to six weeks ago saying you need to mask up again. Oh, yeah. Well, and that went down, you know, very quickly because it was a bunch of nonsense. So this was an article on January 9th in the UK. You ready? January 9th, just a month ago, with temperatures plummeting and socializing inside with loved ones over Christmas, experts predict cases could continue to rise through January. Professor Peter Oppenshaw, who's a virus expert at Imperial College of London, said we're going to see quite a major surge in infections over the coming weeks. The wave could be bigger than anything we've seen before. Um, 
and then he's, of course, saying to stop the spread, Sue, you should consider wearing face masks in public places like on trains and shopping. Then there was another virus expert that said we're going to see quite a major surge in infections with a wave that could be bigger. Oh, no, that was that was him. But they were mentioning that the Neil Ferguson model that was originated at Imperial College said basically the same thing. Here's another one. Christina Pagel of University of College of London. The JN1 is the um, the variant. She predicted that it would be similar or larger than Omicron. I'm sure this wave will rival the first two Omicron waves in 2022 and might even exceed them. Jonathan Bell, University of Nottingham and Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, said that he was concerned. He said, you know, this is maybe new variants will continue to evolve, replace pre-existing variants, causing major outbreaks of infection. So the rolling seven-day average, apparently they still keep these things, of newly reported COVID cases in the U.K. was 938. That's when that article was out. By the next week, it dropped to 750, and it's dropped every week so far. So, you know, I don't know how many times something like this needs to happen where you have experts telling us one thing or the other, and they get it so wrong for us to not quote experts anymore. I know. And I'm sure they came out and said, gosh, we were wrong. Didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Anyone? Oh, those anyone? are all. Yeah. I mean, I can give you so many quotes from, you know, we just kind of miscalculated on this one. Nope, Sue, that's not anywhere I can huh. find at all. We got Sue's News coming up. First edition of the week after Fox News at 4. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 